What's going on and welcome to the Mike Janela Show. I'm your host, Mike. Obviously, this is my 76th podcast episode. Hopefully, it won't be my last. This week, he is a story editor. He's in that room coming up with these stories, looking at what these characters are doing for one of the hottest shows on all of TV, Riverdale. His name is Brian Patterson. They're having their season two finale this week. I caught up with Brian actually a couple weeks ago when he was on vacation before it got real crazy again. Uh, So we talked then, and it was wintry and dreary back then. Now it's finally nice and springtime. But I wanted to save this until the finale came out this week because everyone's going to be talking about it. They already are uh, on my social media all over the place. So I talked to Brian about a whole bunch of stuff. What it's like in that writing room. How they come up with stories for these characters. What is a year in their life like working on Riverdale? Uh, How he deals with the... Uh, let's call them passionate uh, Riverdale fans on social media. Um, any advice people have to follow in his footsteps? What's next for these characters? We hit it all. That's coming up in moments. But first, I start every episode with Don't Get It Twisted. And just talking to Brian, I learned how in-depth and how many layers there are to the TV show production process, which is insane. And then when you think about how many shows are out there, Like, look, it's easy to complain about TV. Uh, This was a bad episode. What a terrible scene. I don't like what they're doing with this character. Don't get it twisted, though. These people are working so hard. Like, I know you think, oh, this show is terrible now. They must just be mailing it in. Not the case. Like, you'll hear Brian say the hours they put in, the months they have to sacrifice, the amount of coffee they have to drink, and everything they do... And to put out either a half hour or an hour every single week for 20 weeks or more. Or if you're creating you know, a binge series and trying to put out 8, 10 hours all at once and basically making a bunch of movies. It is so hard and such a difficult industry behind the scenes that next time your show, your favorite show is maybe having a rough patch or a bit of a struggle... Cut them some slack, all right? Because it is a lot harder. I mean, try coming up with a funny Instagram post once a day. That's hard to do. So now imagine trying to appease millions of viewers, nation and worldwide, week after week after week. It's tough. So give people that do that a lot of credit. People like Brian Patterson is going to talk to us all about everything behind the scenes at Riverdale. Here he is. Brian, what's going on, my man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm here on, on another cold, dreary, winter is never going to end New York afternoon. <laughs> You're out there in a nice, I'm assuming, bright, sunny, temperately moderate uh, Los Angeles morning. Is that is that fair to assume? That's fair to assume. Uh, yeah. It's been pretty pretty god-awful here lately. Uh, I'm, sure that's been, a rel- uh, I'm sure that's a relative term. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, kind of low 50s is, is considered pretty... Pretty damn cold for LA. So uh, coming back, coming back from New Jersey to uh, you know seventy five, eighty degrees and sun was was a nice little uh, change in pace. Uh, I hate you so much, but I do got to keep you around because we got an awesome episode to film or to record here. I guess talking to a guy in TV, uh, we're going to talk about a lot. I mean, you're uh, on Riverdale, one of the shows that's always trending on my Twitter, and I'm going to be honest and right off the bat um, admit that. I don't watch the show. I haven't, and I should have before I talked to you, but uh, I just didn't have the time. But I can't avoid it. Every website I go to is covering it. Every every week that the episodes are on, it's on the top of my Twitter trends. Uh, every magazine cover I see has 
one of the kids uh, on the cover. I'm, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm excited to talk about how this whole journey has gone for you. But I start the same way every single episode, Bri, by asking people the same question. Could have nothing to do with your gig, but I ask you, what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past week? Oh, man. The best thing that's happened to me in the past week. Well, I went back to Jersey uh, for my sister's engagement party. So uh, I got to see my, my family for the first time in a couple months and uh, actually saw extended family that I haven't seen in about uh, probably 10 years or so. Uh, I finally got to see them again. So that was nice. And uh, my sister's really happy. So I'm happy for her and and uh, her fiance. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's a good answer Thanks. for these things. Usually we get like, oh, I had a really good slice of pizza the other night. But this is a legitimate, nice, happy occasion that you had. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Well, I also had Taco Tuesday last night. So that, oh, that, was, perfect. that was pretty nice. <laughs> it all yeah. comes together. So let's talk yeah. Riverdale. Uh, you're a story editor there. And well, why don't we start there? So explain to me, because you and I were talking before we started recording, how... How many people are involved in this phenomenon, any TV show, really? Give me an idea, story editor, what does that mean? What is your job specifically? What are your daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally tasks? What's, what's your gig all about? <laughs> if you can sum it up in, like, um, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so there are about uh, 11 or 12 writers on our show. Um, from the very top, uh, it's Roberto. Uh, he's the showrunner, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. And, uh, and, you know, it's a sort of a totem pole down from there and you have producers and, uh, and co-producers and things like that. So, you know, Greg Berlanti would be an executive producer on the show. Um, you know, he also has Supergirl and, uh, Flash and Arrow and, basically uh, owns the CW, basically owns the CW. <laughs> he basically owns Los Angeles, <laughs> uh, point. to be, be honest. Yeah. He just came out with a movie, uh, Love, Simon. So it's getting, it's been getting some, uh, some love from the critics and, uh, a lot of people really love it, and I got to see it too, and it's actually pretty great. Um, but yeah, down from there is Roberto, and then we have uh, sort of like high and like medium level writers. And um, you know, Riverdale was my first show that I worked on, so I came in as a staff writer. And uh, you know, basically, when you're a staff writer, it's it's uh, it's nice just to get one episode per season, but. Um, uh, I got uh, I got two this year and basically was promoted to story editor um, about ten episodes in. So every season you get uh, you get one bump up to the next uh, to the next level. And uh, yeah, I got one one episode my first season, which was thirteen episodes, and then um, got two episodes this uh, this season too. So um, yeah, uh, it's been uh, it's been a pretty great. Uh, learning experience and uh, hopefully what I brought to the room was uh, beneficial to season one and season two. So you've been there. This is now we're coming toward the end of season two. You've been there from the beginning. You're moving on up, which is great. And we hope that that just keeps going up for you as the show keeps going on and on. So did you guys know, like day one, you're walking in, did you guys expect it to become this phenomenon that it is? Or was this a pleasant surprise that you kind of, it fell into your lap? Uh, well, I had read the script, uh, for the first time in the, the Warner brothers writers workshop. And, um, from the moment I read it, I, I knew that, uh, that the script was going to be special. And, uh, I told Roberto as much in, in the interview, um, how confident I was that, that this show was going to be a hit. And, uh, his reply to that was from, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, it's it, you never really expect anything to be a smash hit uh, right out of the gate. You know, uh, there are some growing pains, and uh, um, it it sort of takes time to to find your characters' voices, and um, we managed to do that in in season one, I think. And uh, it, it wasn't a hit right out of the gate. Uh, it really took that that first summer while we were off the air when it uh, when all the episodes got uploaded to Netflix and. Uh, word of mouth was really strong about the show. It, it sort of um, be- became this sort of uh, cultural <laughs> phenomenon where people were really, really enjoying it. And uh, we really saw like the volume of, of like tweets and stuff like rise dramatically during that summer. And we knew that um, season two, the season two premiere was going to be significantly bigger than, um, than our season one numbers. Um, we just weren't sure how much. And then, you know, when we saw the um, the the rating for that season uh, season two premiere episode, which was like a point eight, and the highest we had done in season one was like a point five, um, it was like a oh my god moment where we sort of knew we were uh, in the cultural pi- pipeline, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, I was always confident that the show was going to be successful. You know, because Archie is a brand that. You know, not everyone, but a, a good chunk of the uh, the population might know just merely from seeing them in uh, you know uh, supermarket supermarket checkout aisles. You know, their comics are always up there. So um, yeah, I think I was pretty confident that the show was going to be a hit from the beginning. But you, you know, you never want to uh, jinx anything. Yeah, of course. And you can only hope that nowadays, even if you don't get off to a scorching start right out of the gate that because of Netflix and anywhere else you can find it online, whether you're watching it, you know, illegally or not, I know a lot of people often catch up on shows that way too, but that you hope that, all right, season two, the word's gotten out, and now we can be that success. And to your point, the numbers have obviously been gangbusters in season two compared to season one. That part I find super interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to anyway. People that watch or catch up on the show either on Netflix or they just sit on their DVRs for a month and then they all catch up, does that change how you guys write at all or break stories, like knowing that someone might be watching six, seven episodes in a row? Or are you guys still tackling it the old school way, one a week, and we're going to craft the show that way? Um, yeah, I think we typically have a, a story set in mind uh, from, from the get-go of the season. Um, typically, those first few weeks of the, of the season, we dedicate strictly to developing story arcs for all the major characters on the show. So... Uh, we'll come up with, um, you know, 22 episode arcs uh, for kind of vague, uh, broad strokes kind of stories uh, where we want the character to be in the beginning of the season and we, where we want them to be by the end of the season. And so um, <clears throat> we'll come up with, you know, 22 sort of loose stories for each character those first few weeks. And then we do them for, you know, Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, um Kevin, Josie, uh, we've got some new characters on the show this season. Uh, Tony Topaz has been uh, a huge addition to the show. And, uh, of course, Cheryl Blossom has been, uh, like, a fan favorite this year. So, um, typically, we already know what we're going to uh, write. Although things things do change on the fly, um, we, we never really dictate the show based on what people are are saying we, we try to kind of craft the best show that we know we can write um, and try not to let a whole 
a lot of outside influences affect uh, the integrity of the show. See, and you stole, one, you stole really one of my good. questions for later because I think starting with Lost, I think was the first show where this really happened. You start to wonder: Are the writers seeing what everyone's saying on Twitter, and they want you know the story to go this way for Jughead, or they can't believe that Archie is doing this? And then, do you guys does that influence mm-hmm. you at all? And I'm sure that for some shows, it happens. It does happen. Showrunners admit that. But you're saying you guys still try and be a little bit in your own bubble. We do. Uh, we absolutely do see what people say about the show. And, <laughs> it's hard to uh, avoid. We're, I'm we're sure. Very, it is. It's it's exceedingly difficult, especially if you have like a Twitter uh, a Twitter handle, and uh, you know I'm like I've got thirteen or fourteen thousand people, uh, raging Riverdale fans who you know they all have an opinion, and um, but yeah, typically we uh, we we trust our instincts, and even if uh, even if fans might have a adverse reaction to to what we're going for, we're, we we trust that. Uh, we've written the best story, and by the end of the season, that they'll be in a, a really good place, and and will love the show and keep watching and tell all their friends. Because I imagine if you're writing for, say, a Netflix series, there's going to be that. What's the right word? I guess that desire, that that itch to end every episode on a cliffhanger, right? Because you want people to at three in the morning when they've already seen three episodes just keep binging through it. Whereas for you guys. Mm-hmm. You are thinking, I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys have plenty of twists and turns as well, but you do want that different kind of cliffhanger where you want people talking about it for a whole week and, and knowing they may not be jumping into it right away. It's got to be hard, man, because I, I remember, you know, TV growing up, they would write all the episodes and film them all like over the summer. And whatever was taped in August would be airing in May and you would have no idea if things would change or what the story would be from a week-to-week basis, whereas now you guys got to write for so many different audiences and so many different time frames, and the turnaround time's got to be so quick. I mean, do you hear from, do you work with anyone that's kind of been in the TV business longer that, that has gone through this change? Because you're obviously a young guy, so you don't, I'm sure, know what it was like working on TV back in the 90s and the 80s, but you got to hear stories about how much it's changed in the writer's room, right? Oh, yeah. Like, we have a bunch of hot you know, higher level writers who have been in the industry, um, quite a bit longer than I have. And, uh, yeah, it's, there's been a, uh, a tectonic shift in the way, uh, people consume television and, uh, the fact that you can, you know, literally binge through an entire season of TV and in, in a day or two, it used to be that you actually had to go out and buy the DVDs, but, uh, the fact that you can uh, just sit down and, and watch through means that you need, um, you do need those, uh, those sort of oh shit moments at the end of every episode uh, that that really leaves your uh, your viewer craving more, and uh, I certainly think that that's what we did in in season one, and that's the fact that our our season was thirteen episodes allowed people to literally binge watch the show in a day, um, and I think that's part of the reason it was so successful is because it just uh, it just spread very very quickly, and uh, it was such a such an easy watch. Um, but there was so much drama and so many twists that people really took a liking to it. So uh, we, we tried to do that a little, just as much in season two through 22 episodes. It's been a little more challenging, certainly. Um, but we think uh, every episode has its own amazing cliffhangers and twists, twists and turns. So uh, it, it's been doing very well this, this season, too. So uh, 
we're doing something right. I think I would think so, yeah. And that's got to be no better feeling than that because Twitter, you think of it and the immediate reaction is it's just negativity. People complaining about they don't like what this character's arc is, where it's going or what this plot device is doing. But it's also got to be on the flip side really cool when you guys have an amazing moment or you have a great twist or a big payoff from a long arc and you get to hear about it in real time. Are, like, are you on Twitter when the shows are on live, or do you try and detox uh, when the oh, episodes yeah. are out live? No, there there is no detox periods from Twitter. It's uh, you're you're sort of always uh, listening to their uh, complaints and concerns, and uh, but there are those little moments uh, where where they'll respond positively to something. And um, my first episode that me and Britta wrote. Uh, there was a very special moment between Jughead and, and Betty where Betty sort of lets Jughead in for the first time, not, not physically, <laughs> but uh, sort of emotionally. Uh, she was very uncomfortable with herself, and um, she had some issues, which she still has to this point in the season. Um, but she, she sort of uh, lets Jughead into a place where um, she was very private and kind of reserved about and it's one of the reasons that their relationship is so strong so uh people responded you know very positively to that and you know there there are always moments in the episode where people will be like oh my god i can't believe such and such did that or i can't believe archie is doing this but um yeah yeah we have a forgiving uh audience um although we we have quite a few shippers have you heard of this oh yeah oh yeah of course Okay, it's really intense, um, and uh, I get quite a few shipper tweets on on Twitter. And well, uh, well, respond. Here's your forum. So give me like some of the most uh, ardent shipper uh, suggestions that you get, and explain or oh defend God. yourself. I guess why that's not the direction you guys are going, or maybe tease. Maybe if it <laughs> is, what can you give us? Break down some of the specifics. Uh, I've had some. Uh, direct messages sent to me, uh, <laughs> you know, that there was a, there was a point in the show at which, uh, Betty and Jughead took a break and they were not happy whatsoever. And, <laughs> you know, there, there were some that were as, as extreme as if, if Betty and Jughead aren't together by the end of the next episode, I'm going to kill myself or, um, you know, things like that, where you're just like, Oh my God, I, I certainly hope that a television show wouldn't, dictate things you do in your life and uh it's a lot of pressure uh to be honest you, you want your your viewer to be happy but at the same time you know it's it's television drama and it's it's not real at the end of the day but uh people you know are are uh are heavily sort of into the show and uh and the relationships and um it's uh it's it's pretty intense it's, they love these characters, man. But, I mean, in the end, that's a good sign that you have this dedication, this passion, and this fan base because that means you're doing something right or else they wouldn't keep coming back. Right? At least i got to think that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just the people, a lot of people complaining and nobody watching. So uh, keep the DMs yeah. coming, I guess, right? Yeah, no, but, I mean, that, is, that was the rare exception. Right. Uh, a lot of them are just like, you know, they'll have like these personal uh, fan accounts, they call them like on Twitter, where... The, literally the one thing they do is just tweet about that couple all the time. That's it. And uh, m- more likely than not, I'm attached to the tweet or my, my <laughs> handle is attached to the tweet. So um, it eventually got to the point where I was getting so many notifications. And I was just like, I, I 
I have to turn the notifications off. Otherwise, I'm going to drive myself crazy. Man, it's where fans have gotten um, so smart because in the past, they may have just you know, tweeted at the actor or the actress that's playing the character. But now they know that it's actually the writers and the editors and the producers are the ones that are pulling the strings. So they go right at you guys. And that's how you now get thrown in this fire, which is just wild. It's, they're smart, those internet users, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, well, the, the, you know, our uh, huge chunk of our audience is probably between the ages of, you know, 13 and 17, 18, 19. So they're, they're more tech savvy than uh, probably 99% of the mm. population on earth. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, but at the same time, we put ourselves out there. We know that we're going to be subject to criticism and, and they're going to be able to send messages. So it's not, it's not unexpected. It's, it's just the volume of which it happens is incredible. Is that part of it weird? The fact that you're a room full of grown men and women and you know that so much of your audience it's teenagers. And I, like, I don't remember what it's like to be a teenager. I remember what it was like for me, but I don't know what it's like for a teenager now. Is that weird mm -hmm. knowing what they're going to like or writing to them and what they may uh, appreciate? Is that, that's gotta be a weird dynamic, I would imagine. Uh, well, we've never really, we never really, oddly enough, considered ourselves a teen show. It was, uh, you know, it was conceived as uh, a dark uh, mystery drama uh, with the Archie comics characters and the Archie Archie uh, gang is all 16. So um, there's definitely a, there's an undercurrent of, you know, malice, I guess you could say in, in our uh, series. Um, and, but we never were specifically targeting uh, teenagers. It was always, we always wanted to write the show that we wanted to write. And, you know, a lot of that was inspired by shows like Twin Peaks and, um, and movies from, you know, sort of the 80s and 90s. Um, but th we never really set out to uh, capture the attention of um, younger viewers. But at the same time, if, you, if you're going to have a high school drama, no matter what, you're going to have teenagers watch the show, especially if um, there are a lot of different characters on the show. It's, it's a diverse cast. Um, you know, we're inclusive of LGBT and... Um, you know, we're always telling different stories and we, you know, we pride ourselves that on the fact that not only will a teenager be able to enjoy the show, but, uh, you know, I know quite a few older people who actually watch the show and really enjoy it too. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it's never been explicitly a teen show, I would say. It's just getting them on your side because teenagers are the tastemakers. So it's a good thing that if they, they walk into your show, but not necessarily something you have to aim for, but you're getting them both. You're getting, sure. like you said, all four quadrants. So that's awesome for you guys. What's the biggest misconception people have of either your job specifically or what it's like putting a TV show together? Mm. Biggest misconception. Uh, probably that I have, like, all the power on the show. Uh, <laughs> on, at least on Twitter, it seems like, you know, uh, I get messages every day uh, asking for X to happen on the show. And I can always pitch that in the room, but at the end of the day, it's, it's Roberto's call. It's, it's his baby. Um, it's, uh, it's his script. It's his series. Uh, so, you know, he's going to get the final call on everything. Um, but it really, it's a, it's a, it's a group effort. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time in that writer's room together. Um, it doesn't just fall on, on one person, uh, especially if one person is assigned an episode or, two people are assigned an episode. It's never, 
um, solely the responsibility of that single writer to flesh out an entire episode, uh, break the bones of it, and um, and really come up with something great. It's it really is a group effort, and uh, if we didn't have every single one of those writers in that room, we wouldn't be able to come up with something as good as Riverdale. Take me inside that writer's room then. You mention it, and I'm always curious about this because you hear from different shows how much or how little a showrunner is involved, how many people are allowed to contribute to the script writing process. So let's say you guys are, are breaking, I don't know, episode 18 of a season or something. Like, How soon before the episode airs are you guys in a room? Is it five of you, 10 of you, 20 of you? Is there pizza? Is it a big conference table? Is it just <laughs> random brainstorming? Is there a whiteboard? Like, What's it like to actually be someone as part of this team that's putting on a TV show? Because I'm always curious about that stuff. Right. So, yeah, well, one, there is a lot of pizza. There's always lots of pizza, especially if there's a late night. Um, but our process is um, we typically spend two to two and a half weeks working on, on a single episode. So we'll start um, sort of doing uh, what we call it a blue sky, uh, a blue sky day where we'll come up with uh, ideas for specific characters that we want to see in that episode and based on where they left off last episode, where they could potentially end up uh, for this one. So we'll sort of loosely, uh, very gently come up with story ideas and, and write those all out on the whiteboard. And from there, we will actually start fleshing out um, uh, a more thorough outline. Uh, typically, we call them story areas. So once we have you know, between 10 to 20 beats or, or scenes for a sp specific character or characters, um, we'll be able to uh, sort of put a little more meat on the bone and, and go into a little more detail about what we want the story to be. And uh, we'll come up with an A story, a B story, a C story. And typically we'll end up with five or six different, different stories because there are so many concurrent storylines in Riverdale that um, by the end of a, a single story area, which is essentially just one long uh, outline, could end up being like 20, between 20 or 25 pages. So uh, it's very thorough. and We always have a really good idea of what we want the story to be before we actually, before we actually write it in, in final draft. Um, and then once it's, uh, once the story area is finished, um, depending on how much time we have left, um, We'll we'll basically divvy out scenes to all the different writers, and uh, you know some people uh, are experts at writing Betty or Veronica or Cheryl, and uh, some people are better than others at writing Archie and Jughead, and and even like the parent characters like uh, you know Fred Andrews or or Alice Cooper or uh, some of the other parents on the show like. Um, Skeet's character, uh, F.P. Jones. Um, but yeah, uh, so typically we'll, we'll, we'll write all the, the scenes um, individually and then we'll get them into the, uh, to the writer who's been assigned the episode. Um, they'll do their pass. Uh, they'll get a, probably like a couple of days to, to revise and, and make sure that the script is flowing logically. And then from, from there, he'll send that into... Um, either Roberto or to Michael Grassi, who's the number two on the show. 
and uh, and they'll do their pass, and then we have to get uh, a sign off from the studio and the network to make sure that they they think that the the script is in a good place, and if all goes to plan, um, we'll send that out to our production crew up in Vancouver, and we'll be able to do a um, a uh, sort of a group read uh, with all the all the different cast. And then uh, over eight days, we'll we'll shoot it up in Vancouver. And the next thing you know, it's on your TV and two million people watching it live and then millions more on their devices of choice in the weeks afterward. And that's how it's done over and over. You make it sound so easy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we do that 22 <laughs> times. So it's, it's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, it, gets, yeah you... it, it gets very intense at the end of the season uh, when, when, you, when you're, you know, you're you're down to your your last few episodes and uh you're just yeah you always got to outdo the last episode so of course um it gets it gets fast and furious at the end but uh i think we finished on a very strong note this year do you get and we're going to find out or america will at least soon um do you get like time off do you get a summer break or is this just all year the grind just never stops oh no i'm actually on break right now uh i'm on my hiatus so um, Beautiful. Our, yeah, yeah. We typically get like a month and a half to two months off, so um, it's it's much needed rest. Um, yeah, uh, we typically work from like early May, late May through uh, end of February, ish. See, so I always, I always like uh, that. When I was working in baseball, it's always the grind, and sometimes you're working seven days a week for a month straight. But I always liked, maybe it's because I really loved school when I was a kid, I liked having a finish line, right? Like being able to say, okay, we are going crazy, but you know, last game of the season is this day, or now you, like hiatus is coming up, and now you get to just totally unplug and recharge and travel if you want or just sit on your couch for a month if you want. Like I always like that, but I know for some people they like a little more routine, but... Uh, for every industry, I guess yeah. it's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a little daunting looking up at that mountain when you when you first start a season. It's like, oh my god, there's 22 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> where the hell Where the hell do we begin? But um, yeah, it's like you just gotta you know keep keep going and keep pushing on, and um, you know eventually you'll get <laughs> you'll get to that hiatus. But uh, I'm also like fairly routine and uh, I like having a set routine and you know once I'm three or four weeks into my hiatus I'm like okay I'm, I'm ready to go back to work let's so, get back I think um, it was like a free pizza and you just want to go back to that as much as possible <laughs> yeah that's true we're, we're treat we're treated very well uh at Riverdale we um you know we have our lunches catered and we have coffee in the morning and then our our assistant goes out and gets coffee in the afternoon and there's always a fully stocked kitchen, and yeah, but so food is never an issue uh, over in our good, offices. Good, good. Um, yeah. Do you get to do you get to enjoy the success at all, or is it just such a grind that even when you do get a break, it's more about catching your breath? Or, or do you get to have your moments where you stop, smell the roses, and, and get to enjoy actually and appreciate what you guys have been doing? Yeah, you definitely have those moments, especially uh, you know when you get the positive fan reaction on Twitter. And uh, you see how much the show means to people. And there was one uh, message I got in particular from, uh, I won't uh, say specifics, but um, this uh, specific girl's father passed away recently. And she used to watch the show with her dad. And 
she said they it was one of those things that they really uh enjoyed doing together and it was kind of like a bonding experience for them and uh the fact that something you know that we wrote can can resonate like that with with people uh around the world is is pretty incredible and uh yeah it's definitely not something you take for granted and um uh definitely lucky to be in the in the position I am today and uh, it was a lot of hard work getting here, but uh, you, you never take it for granted for a second. That's good, man. Well, I'm, I'm happy for you that you finally made it. I mean, for people, they can look you up on IMDb and I'm sure online and just see the actual journey you've taken professionally. And everyone knows, you see, it's a classic Hollywood cliche, right? Even if you're, whether you're behind the scenes or on camera, just to make it to the level of success you're having, up. it's just, it's got to be just insane. Just always climbing, always climbing, hoping that one day it works out. And, and for you, so far it is. So I'm happy for you. I got a couple questions specific to the show. Uh, like I said earlier, I don't watch, but I, I reached out to a friend who I know does. His name's Chase. So Chase, what's up? He had uh, two questions he wanted me to ask you. Are, you. are you okay taking some from the fans? Oh, yeah, sure. All right, awesome. So he wants to know, question one, do you guys actually write in the stage directions or in the script for all of the guys taking their shirts off? Or is that just something that happens naturally <laughs> when in the method acting? How much of that is you telling them? How much of that is them going off on their own? No, whenever someone has their shirt off, it's always explicitly written in the script. Okay, good. As much as, yeah, as possible. They, they wouldn't, yeah, there's no method acting. I mean, there is some method acting that happens on Riverdale. Uh, but uh, if... if Roberto ever calls for a certain character to have his shirt off, or we want the character to have his shirt off, then we gotta we gotta write that in there. <laughs> That's by very much by design. I like it. And his second one, he wants to know who he can credit, who came up with uh, Jingle Jangle and with Grindem, because he loved those two ideas when you guys came up with those. Uh, so Jingle Jangle, I think that was an idea we came up with uh, in the season two. We had uh, kind of a mini room last year because. Uh, the show hadn't been renewed yet, so we um, we got together and came up with essentially the entire season two arc, uh, so he could pitch it to the network. And it ended up being that they they just renewed us anyway because uh, we this word of mouth was starting to spread about the show, and they knew that uh, they had something special. But uh, Jingle Jangle, I think that was uh, Ross Maxwell, and he works on Sabrina now, but he was in the room for. Uh, a significant portion of season two. And I think he came up with uh, the idea of Jingle Jangle because Jingle Jangle is, is based on a, uh, a song that the Archies wrote in the seventies. And um, it's a very strange psychedelic kind of song, but uh, it, it fit actually perfectly with the name of the drug that we, we wanted uh, all the kids to be using in Riverdale. So uh, yeah, I think credit that one with Ross. All right. How about grind them? Who gets the credit for that? <sighs> grind them. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know who specifically came up with grind them. We have a bunch of different uh, sort of like fake brands and off brands. Yeah, that we, yeah. I think that's something the fans. The fans seem to love that about the show, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. Uh, the one. The one I did come up with was. Um, Instead of the Bachelorette, uh, Veronica watches the Maxlorette, and she invites <laughs> all her friends. She invites all her friends to watch them, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, th those are really fun to come up with. Typically, uh, we can come up with those in, you know, in a in an afternoon or something. Yeah, that's got to be a really fun. He'll part be of the like, 
Yeah, he'll be like uh, Brian, Britta, Tessa, Arbella. Just just come up with an idea for uh, some kind of fake store or fake credit card. Or uh, I think the credit card we have is like American Excess, and uh, our fake Amazon is Glamazon. And instead of Tiffany's, we have Spiffany's. And you know, a lot of these a lot of these already exist from the comic, but there are some that we have to come up with ourselves. But I don't I don't I'm not sure. I think Roberto probably came up with with Grindem. Yeah, well, it seems like something you guys as a team take a lot of joy in is coming up with all these different names. So, thanks for, for well, coming up with yeah, sure. Say, coming up with the, the coming up with the brand names and and the character names are actually a really fun part of the, the job. That's cool. I'm happy to hear it because yeah, sometimes you become a prisoner of your own success creatively, and you don't get to have actual fun with it. So I'm happy to hear that. I can tell the smile on your face just thinking about it. So that's really cool. Um, Brian, before we get to the last couple segments of the show, any advice for any aspiring script writers, story editors, screenplay producers? I mean, people that want to kind of be where you are, where you're going. You've you've done it so far. So what would you tell them if they want to be like you? Um, I would say don't stop writing. Uh, uh, one of the things, what I did to, to essentially get my foot in the door in, uh, in network TV was applying to the, um, uh, every studio has its own kind of workshop, um, that they will hire, you know, a handful of writers every year and, uh, will actually give them the opportunity to, to write, um, a spec and a, and a pilot, um, and getting accepted to those programs can can really be a boon to your career if you can get in. It, it's super difficult, uh, and oftentimes it'll take um, more than one try just to to get accepted to one of those programs. But um, in my case, I got I got into the Warner Brothers program on my second try, and uh, it made really all the difference in my career. Because um, basically, if you finish the program. Uh, it's very, it's very quick. Um, you have to write two full scripts in probably about four or five months and, uh, it's very intense and you have to be very open to scrutiny and, uh, and to people's notes. And, uh, if you really devote yourself to it and, and, and get it done, they'll send you out on staffing interviews for, for Warner brothers produced shows. So every, every network and, uh, and studio has their own kind of writers on the verge program. Um, but if you can't get into that, uh, if you don't apply for that every year, I would just say, uh, there are definitely other ways of going about it. Um, my, my writing partner, Britta, uh, is, a, a, a YA author and she, um, is very outspoken on Twitter and, and has a, a large following and she knows her, her niche and, um, you know, so I, I'm not sure how she was discovered, but um, I don't think she she took a specific TV screenwriting career path. Um, she she got in sort of a different way. So I think really, as long as you continue writing and and you put your stuff out there, um, then uh, there's always a chance uh, that that someone will express interest in your in your writing and want you to write professionally for their for their show. But I, I also think that it it would it's extremely beneficial. To, to move to Los Angeles because you sort of have to be here to uh, to sort of be in that world. Um, even though there are sort of uh, mini Hollywoods popping up across the country, specifically in Atlanta, um, I think you really need to be in Los Angeles to immerse yourself and 
and just network and meet people. And um, it, it never hurts to have an extra pair of eyes on your script. Uh, no matter how good you think it is, uh, there's always probably a way to make it better. Um, so always be open to uh, criticism, uh, no matter how unfair you think it is. And uh, yeah, just, just never stop writing and, and never lose faith because um, I'm living proof that uh, things can change very, very quickly, no matter how, how badly things seem. Uh, there, there's, there's always a chance that, uh, that things can change. There you go. Heard it from the man himself. Brian, last two segments. I do these with everybody. Uh, before we get to the fun five, which are five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone, I let people take a chance to ask me a question. It's called Turn the Tables. You don't have to, but I like to share the spotlight here on my own show. So if there's any question mm -hmm. about anything that you'd like to ask me, now's your chance, man. Go for it. Um, so you worked for the Padres for a while. Uh, was it always a dream of yours to work for the New York Mets? I, I assume you're a Mets fan. Uh, yeah, grew up a Mets fan, as, as are you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, so right. Um, when you heard you were working for the Padres, was it kind of bittersweet or did you want to work for the Mets and this was uh, this was like the gig that was uh, offered to you? No, no, it was all sweet. There was no bitter there. The only bitterness was having to leave uh, the area because I still live in New Jersey and I was living in New York at the time and all my family and friends were here and stuff. But um, no, it's, it's weird. When you come on the journalism side and I started covering stuff for newspapers when I was a teenager already – and then doing minor league baseball and college sports, you kind of lose that fandom element. So even though I grew up a huge Mets fan, by the time I got out of college, you know, I would have worked for anybody because you kind of get that objecti objectivity of being a member of the, the media and covering sports on the up and up. So uh, if I was 10, yeah, I would have loved to work for the Mets. I'm, I'm 32. I would still love to work for the Mets now, uh, you know, now that I'm yeah. back here in the area. But no, just the chance to work uh, anywhere at the major league level, that was what really did it for me. And to be in San Diego, I mean, of all the cities, that's about as good as it gets to be able to live there for a while. So yeah, it wasn't like I felt like I was settling or that it was a disappointment because it wasn't the Mets. Uh, just to be able to work Major League Baseball, have my own cable TV show was, was a dream for me. So uh, yeah, definitely that was uh, nothing bittersweet. That was all a thumbs up. But uh, yeah, Mets, if you are listening, I mean, I'm back here on the East Coast and available. So send me, <laughs> send me a DM and we, we can talk specifics, see what's up. Yeah, that'd be amazing. We've got to make that happen. Yeah, let's do it. You're, you, with your Riverdale Army, see if you could sick them now in the offseason on some, some sports uh, opportunities <laughs> for me, and we'll, uh, we'll combine. <laughs> All right, Brian, fun Definitely. five. Like I said, these are quick. These are fun. They're designed for you and you alone. Question number one. I'm sure it's like asking a mom to pick her favorite kid, but every mom does have a favorite. Who's your favorite Riverdale character? Oh, my God. Uh... I'd have to say Archie. Why? I, I gotta say Archie. I, I gotta say Archie because he always tries to do the right thing, even if uh, he sort of goes off course, uh, which is often. Um, he always has the the best interests of his friends at heart, um, and he's determined to to sort of protect his family and his friends, uh, no matter what the personal cost. So. I think his sort of earnestness and his, uh, you know, just desire to uh, do the right thing is is kind of what makes him kind of my favorite. 
Very nice, very noble it sounds like, and that's, that's at least appreciated by you in the writer's room. Uh, to be a TV writer and a story editor, I'm sure you have to appreciate the history of the medium. So is there one character in TV history, or which one is it, that you would have most loved to have written for? Um, it would probably be two. It would probably be either Tony Soprano, because uh, my, my favorite series of all time is definitely The Sopranos. Um, and the other would probably be Lisa Simpson. Um, I'm, I've always been a, a huge sort of fan of The Simpsons, and I've been watching it since, you know, as long as I can remember from the early 90s. Uh, and she was always sort of an outcast character, and she never really fit in. Um, she was always kind of misunderstood and uh, just super, super smart. And she seems like a character. Uh, my, my actual favorite episode of The Simpsons is a, an episode called uh, the summer of four foot two and uh long story short she after nobody signs her uh yearbook that year she goes on a family vacation with her uh her family and she desperately wants to sort of reimagine herself and and come up with this uh this kind of alter ego identity and she does and she finds that she makes a ton of friends and you know her past followers her bart you know puts the kibosh on that and, and exposes her true, her true self to her new friends. And she's devastated. And, uh, to me, that, that's just, uh, and at the end of the episode, they, they really see Lisa for who she, who she is. And, um, I think that I, that's, I think the perfect episode of television. And, uh, it really encapsulates what a lot of kids I think feel, uh, growing up that, uh, you know, if they feel they don't fit in or, or they're not liked by their peers and they have to change who they are. And, uh, I don't think you need to change who you are. You just, uh, it, it's, it's cliche, but you should definitely, uh, be, be the most you that you can be and, uh, shouldn't have to feel the need to, to conform to anything, anything besides what you want to be. Man, Tony Soprano to Lisa Simpson. Talk about a 180, but <laughs> you, you put it very well for your reasons for those yeah. two. Question three. Well, I mean, you know, you like Go to watch ahead. Tony, uh, you like to sometimes you like to watch Tony just uh, pop a cap in somebody. Yeah, it's very cathartic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Qu question three: What about other TV shows on right now? What's the one currently running TV show that you are most envious of? Like from a professional perspective, you look at what they do and say, "Wow, that that just blows my mind." The kind of stuff they're able to do. What's that one show for you? Uh, I mean, the one show would, would probably be Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. uh, they they do things on that show uh, that, you know, 20 years ago, if if you said that a uh, a TV show would have a $100 million budget, $150 million budget over the span of, you know, 10 episodes or eight episodes, the studio executives would probably look like look at you like you had three heads. Um, but uh, it's it's crazy because every every episode is like a it's like a full length movie almost. And, um, you know, the actors are so good and. Uh, the stories are so, so well, well developed and, um, the special effects are outrageous and zombie uh, dragons, ice dragons. I mean, zombie. come on. Exactly. Exactly. Spoiler I mean, alert. If you guys yeah. are a season behind, sorry, but <laughs> that's on you for catching up. Exactly. Yeah. Watching the, watching zombie, uh, Viserys kind of blow down the, blow down the wall was pretty, pretty incredible. Wow. I bet, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 amazing watching those characters grow. We we kind of hope we can do the same thing with 
uh, Riverdale and uh, watch these characters grow up and and uh, and hopefully uh, fans will watch. Uh, probably not as many will watch Riverdale as watch Game of Thrones, but uh, hey, as long as we're in the conversation, you never know. Yeah, to quote your boss, yeah, from your lips to God's ears, hopefully. Yeah, uh, question for, for sure. Speaking of Game of Thrones, they are kind of straddling this line between popularity but also critical acknowledgement. But I'm going to ask you the question now, number four. Would you rather Riverdale be the most watched show on TV? So you guys win the ratings every week overall, number one show in America. Or would you rather win a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series? <laughs> um. Oh God. Well, all the benefits that come with uh, a, a show that's watched by you know ten million people, twenty million people, uh, notwithstanding, I I think I would probably rather uh, get the Emmy and the acclaim from uh, from my peers in Hollywood. Um, it's nice to have a, a huge audience for your show, but if you don't really take uh, take any pride in in that show, then uh, I think. I think you're probably wasting your time. Uh, I, I think you need to really be invested in the show that you work on and really care about it. And if um, it, at the end of the day, it is a business, but I, I really think that uh, if you write for a show, then um, you need to be passionate about those characters and, and, um, and where they're going to go and, uh, and really have to want to tell stories um, that, that, you know, people are going to want to, are going to want to watch. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would have to go for, for the, uh, the critical acclaim. Quality over quantity. I love it. Last question. Number five, we talked about it a little bit earlier, Brian, you're a Mets fan. When will the Mets next win the world series? Oh my God. You know, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought, I thought we Oh God. Probably in some capacity. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Well, let's see. I, I thought they really had their shot in, uh, what was it 2014 or 2015? 2015? Yeah. Against the Royals. Yep. Oh God. I thought they had it that year. I was devastated when they lost, but, uh, uh, hopefully they get back. They got a good team this year. Uh, as long as the pitching can stay healthy and their guys can, can stay off the DL. And, uh, uh, if they make it to the playoffs then anything can happen, you know, you get hot like they did in, 2015, then we'll find find ourselves right back in the World Series. I like it. Your 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 sunny California optimism is just beaming through the microphone <laughs> here. I really appreciate it. Yes, Brian, thanks so much for Definitely. taking the time, man, and enjoy your hiatus. Let people know where they can find you. More about the show, social media, websites, whatever you want to plug. The floor is yours. Sure. Uh, my my handles for Instagram and Twitter are both at uh, Brian E Patterson, uh, one T in Patterson. That's often. Uh, often a, a confusion uh, throughout my life. Uh, one team, Patterson. And uh, yeah, you can keep up to, up to date on all things Riverdale. I'm tweeting about it constantly, and I'm also tweeting constantly about the Mets, so you get, you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> Beautiful. For that nice Venn diagram right in the middle of Riverdale and Mets fans. It's great. Exactly, Brian, thanks exactly. so much, man. Uh, get back to that. Uh, oh, it sounds so miserable. Mid-50s uh, weather. We're, we're out here still shoveling snow. So uh, enjoy it. Thanks so much for taking the time. And best of luck continued in the rest of season two and then season three and beyond, man. It's a, it's a wildly popular show, and I'm happy for all the success you guys are having. All right, thanks. I appreciate you for having me, man.
All right, and thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure to visit MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show. You can also find links to all of my social media. It's just at MikeJanella everywhere. And you can also find out about the great outro music you're hearing at this point. Once again, thanks to Brian Patterson, and thanks to you guys for tuning in. We're back with another awesome guest next time. I'll try and do better next time. See ya!